wasn't sure I'd ever uh, step out and do my own thing. It took this place to do it. And it is Virginia Tech. This isn't some rinky-dink-ass program. I don't know if I could follow that one up. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Pete, nobody's looking at your tweets. We're going to recruit our footprint, and we're going to work our tails off to bring those Virginia kids to Blacksburg. Those situations are the worst when you are on top yeah. of another guy. The relationships are very important to me. That's what this place is built on. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. At 95 Miami, is, is my fondest name. And maybe the experience after the Sugar Bowl with Wes Worsham and J.C. Price on Bourbon Street. <laughs> Come on, J.C. I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. It is roasty goodness, even though I was out. What's the percent on that? 11. It was a dream come true back then, and it's a dream come true today. Hey, Mom, why don't you try a rail? We're going to put this old guy in a grave. For the love of the game. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Mm, we just got better, guys. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, a Sons of Saturday podcast. My name is Pete, and you guys know my co-host, Robbie. And tonight, we have the privilege of also being joined by Doug Bowman, a 247 Sports and VT Scoop contributor and writer. Thanks for joining us tonight, Doug. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. Glad to be on. Um, big fan of you guys and what you guys do and been listening for a while, so happy to be here. Awesome, dude. Uh, as is customary, Robbie, give us a cheers. Kick us off here, man. Yeah, I'll give us a cheers. Well, cheers to obviously Doug coming and joining us on the uh, on the podcast, and uh, also to a little bit of positivity on the recruiting and transfer trail. Uh, it has been a long, long five years of kind of uh, suffering. I feel for uh, Virginia Tech fans, and not that we are uh, out of the uh, depths of it, but it feels like we got a bit of momentum and it feels like a lot of positivity around the program and definitely filling some gaps here and there that we'll get into with Doug, but uh, a big cheers to the staff and kind of, you know, reorienting the ship, hopefully in the right direction for us. So cheers to everybody involved in that and, and the players as well. Cheers. It has been a, wild couple weeks of recruiting and we're going to get to all that in detail we're going to talk a little bit about the blue chip ratio that's something that doug wrote about in the last two weeks we're also going to talk a little spring ball with doug uh get into the position groups drink some beer together and at the end robbie and i are even going to give our initial 2023 season predictions record predictions so that should be something that you should not pay any attention to but we're gonna do it (laughs) and then after our summer previews against the teams we're gonna go up against we're gonna redo it before the season so you'll get that at the end but i don't want to waste much time because we got we got a lot of stuff to talk about with doug and first of all this offensive line recruit that we got in the portal that was one of the biggest things that's happened in this offseason to me because we've all been waiting to get a commitment on the offensive line because of how poorly they played. And just because of the lack of bodies in general and Clayton Frady committed to the Hokies a couple weeks back and he's from Gardner Webb, big kid, six, five, two ninety, And he's got two years left, which is really big. What were your thoughts on Clayton committing to the Hokies and how do you see him fitting in on our offensive line, Doug? Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I think what you covered, it was a much needed get for Virginia tech. Um, Guy with a couple years of experience and a couple years left. He's played a ton of snaps there. Um, I think one of the themes I'm going to be watching in the fall is 
There's tech tech brought in a lot of transfers this year. He's another one that are moving up a level that are moving up two levels in his case. So we're really going to get a good opportunity to see how, how reliable that, that move up is, but he was, I mean, tech was obviously looking for him, looking for an offensive lineman in the portal. I mean, they were, they were looking going back to last summer. They were desperately trying to find one um, needed, needed another option. Um, anywhere on the offensive line, really just depth anywhere there. Especially you know, with our tackles, right? I mean, that's, right. that's, do you think he'll come in and play tackle? Or do you think he's going to factor into the guard spots? I'll be interested to see what they do there. Um, whether Chaplin's going to move inside. I don't know if he's a, I don't know if he's a um, natural left tackle. So I don't, I don't know that either of them is a natural left tackle or the best bet, but they're going to try and make do with, their best five. This is this is really going to be the definition of finding your best five at any position. Um, you took you go back to the years of like Vance Feist shuffling the offensive line until right before the season, um, just trying to identify the top five guys at any spot. So I think there's a lot of interesting things. Like if you move, if he's going to play left tackle and you slide Chaplin inside, are you going to flip Braylon Moore over to right guard where there was that battle between Schick and um, Jesse Hansen? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, I mean, I think they, he helps in that you're trying to get seven guys that you feel comfortable, maybe eight in a ideal scenario. And he's definitely going to be one of those. How it shakes out as who the top five are is um, going to be one of the stories of August. I think, I, you know, I don't think anybody can, can know for sure. And he may just be like the swing backup guy. And if that's all he is, then great. That was needed too. Desperately needed. Rob, did you have any comments on free? No, just that you got to get to seven and hopefully eight. That just, that only, that only covers you from injury. That's not even, you know, getting any depth at the position. That's just in case something unfortunate happens to any players, you know, throughout the season. And that's the, I think that's the most frightening part. So, anyway, it's positive news, but it is still a, a grim outlook for for the position overall in terms of what what they're what they're staring down at. And it, it reminds me, Doug, your example of back to the Vance Vice uh, situation when we were dealing with that. And I remember going into the season, and we were like, we had no clue who the five were going to be, and it was just moving people around. And he's like, "Yeah, I want to make sure everybody's versatile and they can move around." You're like, "No, you got nobody." That's what's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think the the interesting thing about the offensive line picture is it's the exact same as it was last year, essentially, where you're just hoping like last last year Tech was lucky to not have a big injury on the offensive line. Like that they I mean Joe Rudolph they weren't any good at all offensive line and he still didn't rotate anyone. Parker Clements didn't have an off season with his torn meniscus last year. And he played like every snap at right tackle, no matter what was going on. So, um, you know, it was the same situation as up, up until, I mean, it's still pretty similar, but they've at least got some help here um, to give them. A yeah, little I was bit hoping when we picked him up that maybe there's a chance he could play left tackle, but what I've read and the way it seems is that's, it's just not going to happen uh, because in a perfect world, a guy with this many snaps being in an all big South, I know he's from FCS, but the the size translates. He should be able to play at this level if he was all conference at the at the previous level. But it's a big position switch going from that right side to the left side because Chaplin is really the point where you don't. That's such an important position, and we just don't really know what we're going to get out of him this year. 
Yeah, the other, I mean, the other thing with, with Frady is it's like, it's June. Uh, he's not going to, I mean, his first practice is going to be August, four weeks before the season. You're going to, you going to stick him at left tackle, like right up against it and, and hope for the best. Like, I don't, I mean, I guess that's the case with any of the spots that he may jump in as a starter at, but I mean, left tackle in particular, um, is, is so such a critical position to have some stability and some confidence there. Um, and I, I kind of lean, I know Chaplin was hurt for the spring game, but I kind of leaned towards the guy that at least had, you know, 14 practices in the spring at that spot. But nevertheless, we really needed this and it'll be a boon for us during the season. If there are injuries, even if there aren't, cause I think he's going to play a lot. Let's move the on other, to the high. Oh, sorry. I just yeah. had one more, one more thought on that was like, they had to get him right because the portal options were down <laughs> yeah. to him, and they'd missed on Everett. And um, I, you know, I think they'd looked at a couple other guys, but like, if it wasn't him, it was going to be another. They weren't going to get anybody. Yeah, there was um, that kid that was going to visit, um, but then canceled his visit at the last minute, and it was right, like, cause... okay, it looks like we got Frady. But I really thought, and there was a lot of sense that we were going to get Everett like it felt like we were going to get Everett and all of a sudden he committed to OU which it's hard to deny that with the the offensive line history they've had right and SEC and big time OU is going to be tough I mean that's they're just one of those programs yeah it's kind of like how uh, and he was a big like tech fan his whole life right like he kind of wanted to come to tech the first time around and then he goes bounces around whatever Uh, and then second time around it's like okay now we got a good staff in place like come play here it's like Mike Trout. Like he, he's a huge Eagles fan he's from Philly. You've been a free agent. You don't actually want to play for the Phillies. You like it in LA. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like like yeah. so I think the lights shone really bright down at OU and you know, that's where he went. So what can you do? But I'm happy to get Frady. Um, in some ways this he's played more than, than the kid from app state. So yeah. um, he it could be better. You know, you never know. The, the Everett thing just shows you how desperate people are for like decent offensive lineman, like Everett, like he lost his starting job at App State as a center, or and like went to Oklahoma because they had a hole in the offensive line. They needed an offensive lineman, and like, like yeah. that that's such a valuable position, and it's just like so, so tough to land like a good offensive lineman because everyone needs them, and everyone wants anybody with a pulse who's played a decent amount of snaps. Right. If you're if you've got long arms and you weigh 300 pounds uh, and it's the second iteration of the transfer portal, like you're in the spring portal, like, yeah, you're going to get some looks because people are desperate. Right. All right. Let's move on to the high school recruits, because this is where uh, it was a huge weekend. The weekend of 610. We got four commits in about 48 hours after the weekend ended. And the big commitment was the four-star Gabriel Williams, but it wasn't the only four-star on the weekend. We got another one in four-star cornerback Marcellus Barnes from Chattanooga, uh, three-star Aiden Lynch, gigantic offensive lineman from New Jersey, and three-star defensive lineman Andrew Hanchuk from Cleveland. Two of them are in the top 1,000, and two of them are four-stars. And four-stars are are not something we've seen a whole lot of. Um, and when we get to the blue-chip ratio, you'll, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But the recruiting class went from the 38th in the country and launched in the top 25 last week. It's since popped down. June is a huge month for commitments across the nation. But 
Williams was our highest ranked commit in four and a half years since Doug Nestor. He was the highest commit we've got since then. So it was huge. How did that big weekend play out, Doug? I know you, you got your ear to the ground much closer than we do. Was there a plan for the way these recruits released these commitments? Did the coaches know they were getting all four of them before they made their announcement? There was definitely some orchestration there behind the scenes. Um, a lot of times you're waiting on edits and, um, the, the you know, the school has to kind of weigh, weigh, the, weigh their wishes with the wishes of the, the prospect. Um, you know, the, they, they want to go public in their time and, and get their time in the spotlight and all that stuff. And sometimes they want to go on their birthday and their mom's birthday or something, you know, one of those things. So there's all, all sorts of variables and you try and line it up as best you can. But, um, you know, I think by Sunday night, you were starting to get rumblings of, of a big, of a big result from the weekend. And it was just about, you know, a little or orchestrating uh, of how it's going to play out behind the scenes. But um, I think they were pretty confident they had them before their public announcement. Um, but I, I, you know, I don't think they were confident going into the weekend that they were going to get them. Like these weren't like preordained definite. Like, like it they're, was, they're, they're, they're coming on campus. Marcellus Barnes is the one in particular. Evan Watkins will tell you, like he didn't come to campus expecting to commit. That was a close by Virginia tech. Um, which is, That's which is, nice a, which is definitely a positive, mm -hmm. but um, the other guys maybe were leaning, you know, and, and I mm -hmm. certainly think like a, like a guy like Andrew Hanchuk maybe was heavily like you, you, you get a sense of like, they're telling you all the right things and you think you can get them with um, get them on the visit. But um, yeah. And then from there, it's just planning and edits and making sure, you know, you see the bat signals go out from, everyone on the staff they're aware of the plan oh yeah the hype was was big on that sunday or whatever yeah. It, it, yeah, i think evan watkins had put out like the the one two three four and it's like oh are we getting a four star and someone's like no we're getting four commits and so like all this hype <laughs> is building and whatnot and it seemed like gabe williams was the ringleader and and he has been since then in recruit trying to recruit other guys to come to tech um and not only is he the highest recruit in the class, so that kind of like has some weight behind it, but he's also a really big dude. He was just at a really important camp. But everything I heard about the weekend at Tech and what you just indicated is that it was a very impressive weekend to the recruits. They they had a great impression on so many guys, guys that they didn't even think they might get this soon. And so do you think with this these two big four-star commitments and just the momentum that the perception – of VT on the recruiting trail is starting to change a little bit. Uh, I think it gives them some, you know, gives other recruits some more belief in what Pry is, Pry is selling, so to speak. Um, they're the first, they're the first four stars to hop on board, and you know, somebody's got to be the first guys. And Gabe Williams, in particular, is definitely a really good one to to have, given his um his enthusiasm for recruiting for Virginia Tech at this point, um, as one of the top top prospects in the footprint, I think is a big one for him. Like you're getting, you're getting really a local kid. I mean, I know he's from mm -hmm. Maryland, but that's pretty darn close and right, yep. right within Virginia Tech's key footprint to get that guy um, up there in that DMV area that, you know, Maryland with Loxley is always tough up there. Penn state basically has that area just picks who they want. Um, I think that was just a big get. And especially in June when, you know, you've got, 
a lot of kids making decisions and a lot of kids coming down to, you know, they've been in the recruiting cycle. You know, if you say the recruiting cycle starts January 1st, let's just throw that out there. You know, they've been, they've been the guys getting recruited for seven, six, seven months now. And a lot of them are getting ready to make their commitments before the season. So I think getting, getting that kind of buzz from one of the top prospects in the footprint, which Brent Pry has obviously made a big, big, big focus um, was key. I, I, and I think the other thing with the Gabe Williams commitment is like top linebacker prospect four star. Oh, if you look yeah. at Virginia Tech's coaching staff, like if this if this coaching staff is not able to land big time linebackers, that's just, it's just not going to work. Like Brent Pry was one of the best linebackers coaches in the country. Chris Marv is the defensive coordinator. Sean Quinn coaches linebackers. Xavier DB was one of the best linebackers in school history. Like there's no shortage of resources on staff for linebacker play and if so if they if they were going to continue to struggle to land those big time linebackers that was going to be a big red flag but um, that's not the case there with the big push that they were making on in-state and with the high school coaches and getting familiarity with all of them making sure that they were in touch with all the schools I I bought into it in all regions, except I was a little bit skeptical of what was going to happen in the DMV, like the, the, yeah. in Northern Virginia and in Maryland, and just because of what's happened at Maryland and with what Loxley has done and how well they've been recruiting and Penn State really just forcing itself into that area. Uh, yeah. So I think in that sense, it makes me feel a lot better about the prospects of us, not just kind of getting Virginia minus, you know, the Northern Virginia area as well. But, you know, the, the fact that they went up there and, and took a Maryland kid is, is a, is a positive sign. Yeah. And the point about the linebackers is, is such a good one. And they were joking about it on the TSL podcast. Like how many times did pride drop Micah Parsons name <laughs> like when it, during the recruiting yeah. process for any of these guys, whether it's Chris Cole, Gabe Williams, um, that now he is such one, he was a great player at Penn State, but right. he's now one of the best, youngest players in the NFL, and our coach uh, coached him directly. So other than having Vince Hall on the coaching staff, yeah, we've got <laughs> – there's a lot of linebacker push right now, and that is what I'd love to get back to is get some real, like, you know, the, Trina, the Tremaine Edmonds level of linebacker, which, yeah, we had him, but it, it was kind of a dearth in between him now and before that. So, uh, yeah, love getting these guys in the fold. Are there any other names we should be keeping our eye on going forward into the summer, into the winter of recruits, targets that this staff is really high on and is trying to get in the fold? I, I think there's a couple coming up this this weekend um, that are that should. I don't know if they're going to make their decision this weekend or in July or anything, but Keelan Adams is wide receiver um, and Gerard Johnson defensive end. Those are, those are two. I, I believe they're both four stars or Johnson's like a f- composite four star, whatever you want to call it. Um, but, but Adams, their tech is going head to head with South Carolina and, and Bama um, and getting, getting a visit this weekend, I believe um, from him would be a big, big, big time get. Um, and, and then Johnson's a defensive end. He's one of the few, I think he's number six player in Virginia. So he would be Virginia tech's top recruited commit in from the state of Virginia, um, immediately if tech were to get him and he's down to tech and UVA. He's, he's one of the rare these days, rare head to head battles. That's bizarre. (laughs) It's it's rare. It's like, (laughs) 
Keyshawn Burgos was a guy that probably flipped right after he started, but that's like that's been it for like tech EVA battles. There's a couple other ones I feel like in this cycle, but he's the big one that um, I, th- I think most most have been considering him a EVA lean, but he didn't pull the trigger on his visit there, um, which was fairly recently, whether it was last week or the week before. Um, so Tech's getting a crack at him. I think that could be a big a big swing um, if, if they were able to pull him away um, from from UVA. And then Adams, obviously, anytime you're going toe-to-toe with South Carolina, Shane Beamer, they've got a ton of momentum. Like, if you think Burnt Prize momentum the last couple of weeks has been positive, like South Carolina is over the moon with Shane Beamer and the momentum they've had there. And then, and then Bama's Bama. So, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Those are two big ones. Um, Chance Wiggins is another, another big one. That's, um, I think he's set a date in early July for a commitment. So we'll see what happens there, but, um, they got 11 commitments right now. I think you're, I think, I think you're trying to head into the season where you can kind of narrow your, your core pool to fill out the class. And of course you're trying to figure out what you're going to, how many you need for the portal after the season. So I think if you can get up into the high teens, by the by the start of the season that gives you a good kind of zero in on your on your key on un, uncommitted guys anybody they're trying to flip and and then keep an eye on on like late evals from guys that are having great senior seasons how do you feel about our chances with chris cole i know i mentioned him a little bit ago he's he's obviously a top guy uh, i think he was just at georgia after uh yeah. <laughs> after tech so um what, what do you think about that? Do you think that if he was going to commit to Tech, he would have committed already? Do you think we are still like – or do you think he's just going to go out of state? He feels like a guy that's trending out of state to me. Like, I mean, maybe – you know, he's close enough. He can come up on campus during the during the fall for, for visits pretty easily. And hasn't um, he been here – hasn't he been, been to Blacksburg a lot? He's been there a bunch and he knows what it's all about. So I think, <laughs> I think Tech's obviously hanging around in a – and recruit in a, in a recruitment with like Georgia and all these other top programs that want him. So that's, that's a big time battle. Um, I don't know that I expect tech to win it, but I got you. Um, no. With the class sitting at about 30 right now, I think I, I was just logging it. It's been dropping like every day this week, just because <laughs> you see what Florida did this past week too. You mentioned South Carolina, but Florida yeah. got like four, four stars yesterday or something yeah. like something absolutely insane. So and that, that's uh, that's kind of the orchestrating thing that I, that I think mm-hmm. is out. Like, I don't know if you guys remember, but like when Billy Napier first took over, they weren't doing that great on the trail. Everybody no. was yep. like, "Hold the phone! What did we do here?" Yep. Um, and, and now they've got they've got the buzz, the June buzz from um, that kind. It of, can change so quickly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yes, we're sitting at about thirty latest composite team rankings for the class. How high do you think this class can finish? And what do you think, what do you and what do you think the fan base would think is a successful, you know, recruiting class ranking to end up with come this winter? Yeah, it, it's, I think they got a shot at a top 25 class. Um, wow. You know, if they're at 30, you know, they could, it's, they need to land a couple more blue chips we can we're, i think we're about to get into the blue chip discussion but like that's the key that's that's the key for me i think two is more than they had last year in the class mm-hmm. or was it yeah 
couple at the end well, of they the had, we just had Ganem, right? Right. Yeah. Well, they had three. I've got them at three in 2020, two in 2023. I'm getting my years mixed up. Oh, three you're right. In yeah, 2022. Two. Yeah. And then one, one in 2020 and 2021, which is, which is the big problem. Um, mm-hmm. Two is not going to cut it. Two's, two's a great start and you got to start somewhere and all, all the good things, you, but they need, I mean, Looking back at Virginia Tech through the years, seven is about where they t- they have topped out in the modern Virginia Tech era. I think eventually that's where you should judge Brent Pry. If you're getting back there, that's that's a pretty pretty straight line for me of, of failure. Good class, bad class is uh, are you landing enough of those guys right now after three and eight, and when you're still kind of selling the rebuild. Um, you know, just getting back to like four or five is, I think, would be a big, a big class for for right now. I mean, it's you're still you, you still went three and eight last year, recruiting against a bunch of really good programs. Um, so I think just this this feels like a, you know, get the process started, and, and then you got to keep raising your expectations until they start until they're landing seven eight blue chip guys. And that's what is impressive about what they've done. We bring in Frady. I know he, you know, might not be from a, a big time conference or something or an FBS guy, but like we were terrible last year, and that was probably our worst position last year. And you still were able to bring him in. We went three yeah. and eight, and you got two four stars on, you know, June twelfth. So it this is some we digging out of this hole was never going to be easy. And the fact that we have two four stars right now in this class, like I'm still impressed by that. Now that's not gonna for the class as a whole, like I would say top 30, Rob, what do you think? Like, do you think you would be pleased with a top 30 class? Are you expecting that after a three and eight season, I would be ecstatic with a top 30 class. I think and just, it just, I mean, it it was pretty dreadful. And then not, not just even the three and eight, but the way that three and eight happened and some of the losses that we took that really changed the landscape of Virginia and really changed the landscape of, Virginia and Maryland just in general from a recruiting ground standpoint. So I think, I think that would be a very good move. And we talked about the linebacker. If we make some inroads at some positions that give us comfort, that there's always going to be not always, but generally a fallback for the defense where prize going to be able to pull people in at the positions that he should then I think we can really feel like we're we're leaning forward, moving 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 on. With that the was the uh, the Torian Gray thing, right? Like we could always pull a couple yeah. of solid DBs because we had Torian back there, and even Bud with the linebackers. But you're right, getting into those those comfort zones where hey, maybe it's going to be wide receiver with Fontel Mines. Like we just brought in five of them last cycle. We're we're in the in the mix for a couple more this time. Um, Maybe it'll be that, but that's a good point, Rob. I thought that was the, you kind of touched on it. The big thing about the Marcellus Barnes commitment, defensive back four star wasn't, wasn't like a, you know, a lock before he visited. So they closed him at a position that tech loaded up on last, just a few months ago. Like they, they brought in what five defensive backs last, last class alone. So it's not like there's, there's not obvious playing time. Um, that they're just saying like, look, you know, it's not defensive tackle where they're just like, look, look, there's, there's gobs of playing time here. So I thought that was a, 
noteworthy recruiting success of like number one you're closing a, a blue chip guy who wasn't fully expected to pull the trigger that weekend but number two you're doing it in a position that you've got numbers at already that isn't you know you're not selling like come in and play yeah and pr- i mean part of the reason we have the problem with penn state uh, and taking our guys is because of coach pry and so eventually you would hope that would start to swing the other way and the closing thing is huge because it's something that they always talked about with the Fuente staff. Like closing was so hard ever since Chuck Canner left and those recruiting rankings fell off a cliff. We had not been able to close high end guys. And we have, seems like we just did it pretty quick here with, with the Barnes commitment. And now we get another huge weekend coming up and I can't wait to see what happens. Hopefully we'll, we'll have a couple more this time next week, but let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor before we get to blue chip ratio and some other questions for Doug, the two deep hoagies under the influence podcast is brought to you by prize picks. Prize picks is the only daily fantasy app that allows you to make plays with our very own hookies players. So come this fall, be able to get some action on Jalen lanes, receptions, maybe Bashel Tootin's yards, our quarterbacks, TD numbers. But in the meantime, you can make plays on golf. We just had a crazy U S open uh, MLB, the you know the summertime it, it, there's lacking but you can always get some money in your pocket with these prize picks plays so download the prize picks app today deposit match up to one hundred dollars memory lane all one word prize picks daily fantasy made easy right now i need to know what you boys are drinking rob what you got over there i don't know if either you guys watch the witcher or have watched the witcher on netflix so i know uh, what it is yeah <laughs> The main character, yeah, spoiler alert, is not coming back, evidently, because he's a pain in the ass to work with. So the the they got he got booted off the show. But uh Gerald's gold is what I'm drinking. It's a non-alcoholic uh hoppy hells uh beer, the sweet ass can that's uh I love. And the show was awesome. I'm still excited for it to come back. Show us the that's can. gonna be uh let's see. There you go. Yeah. It's pretty, um, it's pretty sweet. So for non-alcoholic, it's pretty good health. I gotta, I gotta admit. So I, I'm doing it just for you, Pete. I know you want to, uh, I gotta spread the love beyond just IPAs and stouts. So I'm, uh, I'm into, uh, your, your, your style of beer here. I do. I love a good health lager. So I appreciate that, Rob. Doug, yeah. what are you drinking? I've got a, a West coast baby Falcon from triple crossing in Richmond. Nice. Um, I actually went there today cause they put they got me on Instagram talking about their Space Falcon. And I showed up there and it was sold out. So I was like, I oh. guess I gotta go with this. So it's a little West Coast IPA. Uh I read about it. It's a, a lighter version of their Falcon Smash, which is the sweet nectar of Richmond. Yes. Um, yeah. So that's like their session version of the Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they say you can <laughs> you can drink it all day compared to a Falcon Smash. Going yeah, Falcon Smash get after you. Going going back to my drinking days. Triple ca- Crossing Sneaky has the probably the best IPAs in Virginia that most people uh, most people want to go to uh, you know Aslan or something like that. I think Triple Crossing has some of the best IPAs that uh, that Virginia puts out there. So they were that. definitely really good a few years back. Like when I whenever I'd visit down Richmond, like that was the place that had the new hot stuff. I know the Vale was up there as well. Yeah. Um, but Triple Crossing, I still have one of their tulip glasses. It's like my favorite IPA glass to drink out of. Yeah. Yeah, they're great and people drink 
Falcon Smash all as much as they can, but they they got a lot of other good stuff too. So, um, I am drinking the Voodoo Ranger Fruit Force. This is like a super <laughs> super weird beer. I I actually saw it in the store and like tweeted it out maybe four months ago. It'd be like, and I, I think I did the Austin Powers like, how about no, like because it just looked <laughs> so lame. And someone's like, that's actually kind of good. It's called a Fruit Punch IPA. So I decided to try it. It is not red. I thought it might be red. I got, you can see I'm owed to Shane Beamer here with my South Carolina glass, but it's, it's like a hazy, you know, typical voodoo ranger in the glass, but it does taste like fruit punch and it's, it's pretty darn good. Um, I, it actually surprised me quite a bit. 9.5% alcohol. You'd never know. So it's, it's real strong. It's got the force to it. Um, I know they make a juice force as well, which yes. I think is, is also like 9%. But. Yeah, the juice force has gone like full bro style on Instagram with like, because it's like 9.5%. It, it's basically the Sparks and Ford logo. It's a Ford logo. Of, yeah. of, of the modern day is, is what it is. It's hardly beer, some of those that, uh, but Voodoo Ranger, they, you're they, right. They, They've the, the Voodoo Ranger brand has basically l- like leaned into it just being the bro get trashed beer uh, of IPAs. They they taste good. I mean, what they're doing it's it's almost like a better tasting like Mad Dog <laughs> or White Claw or something like it's a beer version of White Claw. I don't even know, but you're telling me it's a fruit punch IPA. Usually, when it, when you have these fruit IPAs, it's like it's a beer with like a little bit of fruit. This is just straight up like fruit punch. Like it, re- it really is. Like my mom would love this because it, it tastes like juice. But anyway, uh, it's solid. I, I mean, I'm not going to hate on it. People seem to like it and it tastes good and it's going to get me drunk. So what, what can you do? Uh, Voodoo Ranger Fruit Force from New Belgium. All right, let's move to the blue chip ratio. Bud Elliott has done this for a long time. If you're not familiar, familiar with what it is, he takes the previous four recruiting classes and basically adds up your four and five stars and gives you a ratio. And those teams that are above 50%, he thinks have a chance to win the national title. Not that they are ranked in any way, but you just have to have, be at that bar to have a chance to win the national title. That's his theory. And it's held. There were some teams that were close to breaking it, but it, it hasn't broken. And uh, Doug, I appreciated him doing this because it was hard to find the Virginia tech, blue chip ratios over the years or even for this year until Doug's article. But in 2023, we are at our current lowest blue chip ratio recorded, you know, in the modern era, these recruiting rankings have only been around for so long. So we're talking from 04 to 2023 and we're at 8.24%, which I was actually shocked is like sixth lowest in the ACC. It's not even close to last. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah you look at like syracuse they haven't landed a blue chip in four years so there's 0.00 percent of course of course wake forest backs it up they've they're i forget what they were at but it's like three percent and yeah they've clearly been successful um so 8.2 per four percent uh, i've got my spreadsheet here going through the years I th- last year 2022 was the previous low at 16 percent. so you can just see like those two classes of 2020 and 2021 with one blue chip just plummets it. Yeah, they're um, killing us. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what's happening there. And if you can turn it around, you start to creep, creep back up. I mean, you, the blue chip ratio is a indicator of national championship legitimacy. I haven't looked at like how good it is as an indicator of like ACC 
title legitimacy or um, even just like successful eight win seasons or anything like that. It's on the list of things to look at, but I haven't yeah. gotten there. I can I can even make it easy for you. Miami made, would make those stats abysmal. Right. So Miami alone <laughs> would. Miami is a national up. title contender this year. Okay. It has been for the last fifteen yeah, years. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like Tech's twenty sixteen team, Fuente's first year that went to the ACC championship was at sixteen point, was just above last year's team. Yeah, one of the lowest we've had. Right. So, I mean, that team, to me, that kind of shows you what a quarterback and a good defense can do for you. Um, I mean, that was all Gerard Right. (laughs) Right. I mean, without him, I I forget who would have have been Motley was going to be the quarterback. Like, the drop-off would have been just ridiculously (laughs) steep. It would have been. My hunch is that there's not a big correlation between, like, a certain level and ACC title contender. Um, but. and the nuance with it is funny because Bud has, he hasn't really tweaked it because I, I'm not sure he's found the best way to do it this year. He did put out versions, including transfers as well. Yeah. And most of the top teams go down because they have guys that don't cut it. So they transfer to another school. And so it makes sense that the top teams who are bringing in so many blue chips would go down a little bit if you include transfers, but it, his whole thing is like, by not obviously you can't account for evals development uh, and off the field issues and tra- like transfers, all that kind of stuff. But just the fact that your program is recruiting at that level means that, you know, you're doing something right. And so it, largely, yeah, you, it, it means you have dudes, but it also means like you're representing yourself on a national scale well enough to get those guys to come in. Yeah. And so it speaks to a lot of things. I was curious, I see we've been at, you know, 25, uh, 28 in 2020. Like that 2020 team was so loaded <laughs> up, man. Like it really, I know COVID screwed things up. And we even had Khalil Herbert, who wasn't even included in that high calculation. Darisol. Who was the best player on the team. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was it Darisol on that team? Yes. yes. He, was, he wasn't in it. Um, yeah, two star. <laughs> Black, Shear, right. two- Black Shear's an NFL running back. He was on it. Yeah. Um, you can't. <laughs> You could you could go back through that 2020 roster and just shake your head um, about what happened. And there's obvious, I mean, like you said, COVID played a big, big, big part of it. But there was a lot of a lot of missed opportunity with that roster and what what could have been. But going back to to where I, my question, like in the early mid 2000s, we were around 30. Do you think that's where we should be? Do you think when we have things rolling? the our ratio can we get to the 30 mark again can we get to the 35 mark if if prian and staff keep doing what they're doing yeah i mean that's why i threw out the seven blue chips in our earlier discussion that 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 generally gets you into 30 percent range um if you do that consistently um so so can they do it that that's that's what justin fuente topped out at was seven blue chips. He did it back to back years. And that's why that 2020 roster looked pretty strong. Um, that's what Frank Beamer was doing, topping out at seven in the mid two thousands. Um, and they were, they were in the thirties. So I think if you can get back there, you, you take a huge giant step. And, and the interesting thing to me is like, but Elliot talks about this too, is like, he admits that this thing is going to get like, somebody's going to beat the blue chip ratio eventually. And he's like, it's, it's, it's probably going to be somebody that's pretty close and they, and they hit the quarterback lottery. 
like, I mean, I, I don't think that they're not going to do it, but North, North Carolina would be a potential one, right? They're at, I think they're at 41% and they got Drake May. So you get, you know, you get a, you get a quarterback like TCU with Max Duggan last year, who has an unbelievable season and you got a chance. So I think if you can get the seven at Virginia tech and hit the quarterback lottery, now, now you're talking. Yeah, well, you got to, but you got to do it consistently for years, and that's the key. Because TCU would have blown it up, right? I'm assuming, um, pretty, yes. pretty badly. But even, even that is a, I, I know it's held true, but it's an anomaly, right? It's one year, and yeah. if, if, in any sorts of, in any sport, if you can come up with a stat that's held 14 out of 15 years, that's incredible anybody would be you know uh, amazed from a statistic standpoint to have something that's held up that so even if it did get uh toppled one year i don't think it's really going to change the trend anytime anytime soon i think the, the transfers have more likelihood of changing the arithmetic i think than than anything else yeah and that's what everybody says and that's what bud is readily like <laughs> basically like yeah i'm i'm trying to figure it out but like we have 20 plus years of high school recruiting data on what, how, how valuable four stars are. And it's like, they just started giving transfers four stars. And like, like we said, we, you don't it still f- kind of feels like a crapshoot on if Daquan Felton is going to be worth anything as a, as a transfer or consistently those rankings have to kind of firm up and, and get some reliable data behind them on how, how, how much you can, you can truly count on those making a difference. So um, it's, it's an interesting thing to look at. And I think it's important to note that the blue chip ratio is just about like, who's going to win it all. Who's going to be the one team Mm -hmm. that wins the final game in early January. But like if it's going to take a lot of, and with the playoff expanding, like it's going to take a lot of, um, playoff appearances before that starts mattering to a lot of Virginia Tech fans. Well, that's like, just, <laughs> like you, you'll take the playoff appearance and deal with like, nobody's going to be like, well, our blue chip ratio is just not high enough. <laughs> yeah. Like any time doesn't soon. preclude you from winning the conference. Like, look, like yeah. you just mentioned Wake Forest, right? They're at 3%. They almost won the conference two years ago. You know, Clemson has a bad year and they damn near won it against Pitt. So yeah. um, you can win the conference with a, a, an 8% uh, Blue chip ratio, you just need things to really, really fall your way. And you could probably win the national title with a 40% if things fell your way. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. It's on my list to go back through and get all the historical data through all the ACC teams because I'm really curious to see how that seven ACC coastal teams in seven years period played out <laughs> oh just to goodness. see if we can establish that. But um, it's, it's, it's on the list. <laughs> well, let's get to some other things I want to talk to you about. Uh, transitioning from the recruiting because you were there in the spring. I want to talk about the guys that are, arrived on campus. There were 11 early enrollees by my count. Who impressed you the most of those guys that just got there in the spring? Of the early enrollees? Yeah. Uh, I thought the most intriguing one was Jeremiah Coney, the running back. Okay. Uh, that's not a position that, I expected to like him to be a early uh promising one. Like I didn't expect that at all. Like there's no playing time available at that position. He's a he was a late ad from Hermitage, not a highly recruited guy, not a highly ranked guy. Um and I thought that was really interesting how he was definitely 
like they really liked what he was all about at running back and like i i still don't think he should play or i mean i think they should redshirt him maybe he gets four games or whatever but that was really interesting to me given what they did at running back where they got malachi thomas coming back hopefully healthy and then adding basial tootin and they just kind of kept talking about jeremiah jeremiah coney as like a guy that's really impressive and even that started with the workout warrior stuff too i mean yeah it was, was early he was an early guy that they were like I, I saw that um aiden green he got a bunch of accolades at some point and i think cotman was it was a contributor and the interesting thing about db and we'll talk about this in a minute there's going to be opportunity there to get in the two yeah. deep as a freshman and do you think cotman will be one of those guys yeah there's all i mean that's one of the things you mentioned touring great he was always playing guys early like cam chancellor like the like he's you're the third or fourth corner. You can play early. Brandon um, face on. Brandon face on, like steps right in. I mean, you can play early as a fresh, true freshman at corner. Monsor Delane last year didn't mm-hmm. practice much at all in August. Um, so that's a spot that I definitely think someone could crack the two deep pretty quickly. And, and certainly Cotman as the one db i think he was the only db of that group to enroll early the rest of them are coming in the summer so well mose but he was playing safety. right and that's another one that's another one that's like that's partially because the safety position is extremely shallow right now but partially because he stepped in right away and was ready to go moving to some of the position groups how do you think the additions of james Jeanette and powell ryland are going to affect our efficiency at defensive end. This is something me and Robbie talk about defensive end constantly and getting Ryland. It was huge. And we, we, yeah. we talked about that in our last podcast, but Jeanette, like people kind of forgot about him as a Juco guy. Do you think he's going to contribute this year? Uh, I'm going to be really interested to see what kind of that first impression he makes in August. Cause we kind of heard conflicting things. I've heard that they expect him to play at some, some level but I've also heard the opposite. So like, I don't know what to expect. I mean, he, you know, he's a Juco guy, played a little bit at Whit- William and Mary and then went to Juco. It's, it's really hard to get a get, get a grasp of what level he's coming in at, but um, we've definitely heard that he's a, they think he could play um, right away. Certainly I think there's opportunity for somebody else to emerge at defensive end. Um, and he's, he's got the tools. I mean, six, five, long defense that's 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 pro, pro, prototypical uh promising defensive that's what end. You want. so yeah yeah so if he i think this first couple of weeks are going to be huge for him in terms of trying to crack into a you know that top four he i mean mccray's been around for a while nelson's been around for a while those feel like difficult to dislodge power island's going to be up there if not at the top so there's not a ton of playing time available and like it feels like that's a battle that'll firm up and be difficult to crack after the first couple weeks of August. So those are going to be, I mean, I think that's key for him is how good of start in August can you get off to? And I think Jeanette uh, did an interview with two, four, seven on the inside the tunnel podcast. It sounded, he's saying all the right things. I mean, he, he seems like a kid that is on the ball, wants to come here and instantly make an impact. And the, the guy that transferred out Moiston uh, left for Cincinnati. Yeah. That opens up an opportunity for him. And so I, 
it would be, I mean, he was the number one, I know the Juco rankings and maybe, you know, better than me. Like people say, oh, that, that rankings paper thin, but it was a very high ranking for James Jeanette. So like, I'm, I'm hoping that he can come in here and make an impact. I mean, he's an older Juco, right? He's like three yeah. years into it. So, I mean, in terms of college years, he's getting up there into the, that upperclassman stage where, you know, you just have a physical advantage over like Keyshawn Burgos is going to be trying to get a, his largest role yet but he's he's two years behind him and i think that's a you know especially on the defensive line that's probably pretty beneficial for him and the and the mcdonald brother i think that's jordan mcdonald defensive end could be an impediment as well and i i mean those mcdonald twins are are enormous so hopefully he might end up a defensive tackle by the time it's (laughs) (laughs) wow yeah they they i just saw a picture of them the other day because they've been doing all the workout stuff and they are just they're just huge i think on my Um, uh my tombstone is going to say it's going to be loving father, husband, and still looking for an edge rusher that can finish. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's going to be the whole thing. Ever <laughs> since Daddy Nicholas's lobster hands, we've been ever waiting since, for ever since lobster hands. Ever since lobster hands is still looking for an edge rusher that can finish. Yeah, yes. I, I mean that's by far the biggest. Like, if you're looking at Texas defense, if you can just get the quarterback on the ground a little, like a little bit more, it would be such an impactful like boost of for the rest of the defense, obviously, but like, and that's something they just haven't had for a long time. It's been so lacking. And even when guys like Garbett have played well, they have a hard time staying healthy or staying consistent. Barno year two, like what, what happened to him? We will still never know. Um, Let's move on to some of the other positions. You talked about this with Bud Elliott on the summer school series. Uh, one of my favorite things that Bud does every summer. Uh, but after everyone gets there this fall, you know, Stone Snyder's there and everything. Which position will you have the most confidence in going into the 2023 season? I think it's the corners. Um, I think you have feel, I mean, Delane, obviously, coming off a big year. Dorian Strong. People kind of forget about how good he was like he was a pretty darn good cornerback early in his career and then he gets hurt last year and misses most of the year that's a big addition i think Derek canteen is going to be a maybe the most impactful addition of of any of the transfers I, the wide receiver position obviously was just such a such a poor position until they got this guy so they may win it but but canteen for what he brings um as a true nickel corner, like Tech will tell you that Chamari Connor played the nickel spot last year, not because he was not because it was the best fit for him, but because it was he was the best option. Um, and I think upgrading that spot where they can truly play a confident nickel defense with a like a guy like Canteen or whether strong slides in there, Delane, whatever they want to do, like having that three corner three true corners to defend slot receivers and stuff like that. Like I remember writing those game previews and be like, I don't know who's going to guard Josh Downs in the slot against Carolina. Like it's, it's a, it was a scary proposition. It <laughs> was a clear mismatch every single week. Um, and they just had to deal with it as best they can. And I think that was a big time upgrade to be able to go get him. I know they love, they love his leadership and his work ethic and all that stuff um, off the field, which is, which is helpful. Um, you know, especially when you're, looking at a guy like Monsoor Delane, who everybody tells is the best, best thing since sliced bread as a cornerback and all that stuff. Like it's, it, it can be helpful for them to see somebody like Canteen. I think that 
just works at it and came in and made such a big impression early in the spring. So I think he's going to be um, a, a big addition and gives Tech a really strong cornerback room where you got three really good corners, gives you some injury protection with the top two as well. So I think he was a big, big addition and gives them, you know, even if Tech doesn't get the defensive end pass rush that they need, like you're at least stronger on the back end for, for the guys covering the receivers. No, I, I think you're probably right on with that. What as for the backups, I don't know, but the starters are certainly our strongest yep. group of starters, without a doubt. Which position group gives you the most concern? At the same same thing, you got everyone there on campus. You're going into week one. What what are you scared of week one? It's still the offensive line. It's it could be the it could be the house of cards that falls down with I mean, they got lucky with injury luck last year that nobody on their below average offensive line had to miss significant time and throw everything into chaos. So I, I, it could like, have been a Boston college situation, right? Cause they were, they were yeah. so decimated on the offensive they lost line. They mahogany, like defensive yeah. Lineman. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's just, I like a lot of Tech's young offensive linemen and, and where that position group is going. I just don't know that it's going to be there in 2023 um, that those guys are going to be, I mean, like if, if you go like if chap if Chaplin and Braylon Moore are your left tackle and left guard, that is a big uncertainty on an entire side of the offensive line. Like Tech upgraded the skill positions well. I'm really high on Tootin, really high on Jalen Lane. Um, you you think that you'll get some improvement from the quarterback position, but it may not matter. It, like I, I always go back when I talk about the Tech offensive line. It's like. We saw what a horrible offensive line did to the Florida State program for literally years. It took them, mm-hmm. and they were just awful because it's a half just a decade. It was almost yeah. seven years, I think, maybe the total. And that's how maybe. that's how precarious it is. Where you just you're just not going to be able to compete without a strong offensive line. And I I like p- what Parker Clements how he finished last year. If he's healthy, catered more. He's the most experienced and probably the best or the guy you feel most good about. But the rest is just like, hopefully they're they're able to compete at like a average ACC level right away right now. Um, but you know, Chaplin still still's only played twenty eight snaps against Liberty. It's it's hard to be confident about that group. You're right on about turning a program around with a bad offensive line is so difficult. Penn State went through those struggles with Hackenberg. You just mentioned yep. the Florida State example, which is a prime example. And even Clemson, when they were coming up under Dabo, they had the quarterback and they had, you know, Sammy Watkins. It took them a little while to get good enough on the lines to start whipping people. Um, And so it's going to be challenging. Do you think the crook change will help suit uh, the skill sets of the guys we have better than maybe what we had with Rudolph last year? Yeah, I know. I know people like to hate on Rudolph now. I, I still think he was a really good offensive line coach and would have had a lot of success at Virginia Tech given the time. Um, Crook seems good. To, like, I mean, he's a prototypical. He's like spitting, like everything about him exudes offensive line coach. <laughs> uh, um, and it sounds like they're off to a good start there. Um, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch given that he came in, what, like three days before spring practice started. Right. And like, I don't know how, truly effective that spring practice development wise could have been that's a question like going forward that yeah you have to think about um 
So I, I, I don't know. I think that I think it's up in the air on whether Crook is a immediate upgrade or even a long term upgrade over Rudolph. Who, I mean, Rudolph is the the resume still speaks for himself, and he just got. I mean, Notre Dame comes calling. You're gonna. It's gonna be yeah. hard to turn down. No, no doubt about that. And and it wasn't a knock on Rudolph so much of you know sometimes coaches work better with different players and maybe yep. our players would be more suited to the scheme that that crook's gonna run uh, i certainly hope so <laughs> because yeah. it was so bad last year uh and it didn't really improve much especially in the past game the run game did get a little bit better as the year wore on and hopefully it does one more question before you before we cut you off here and honestly we've already kept you too long but <laughs> we do appreciate it um leaving the offensive line out of the equation which group has the biggest drop off between the starters and the backups. So you can't choose the offensive line. Where, like, where do you feel really good about the starters, but the backups, you know, you, you really know nothing. I think safety is an obvious one. I think you feel, I mean, you know, Mose Phillips has a bright future. I just don't know whether he's ready to go as a true freshman coming in as, in the spring clearly helps. Um, and then I think the, the other backup there is Jalen Jones, who was a wide receiver until like yesterday. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like that's, that's concerning uh, to me. I wonder if there would be a little shuffle the deck of like canteen or Delane sliding over as the true backup safety. If one of those guys went down um, just trying to make the best of your four man lineup there in the secondary. So that's one spot that I think is, is a, uh, is a big time question mark if Stroman or Peoples gets hurt. Like it, it could the 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 difference in in level there could be could be stark. And then I think you're still I think you're still looking at wide receiver there. Um Jennings Lane Felton much needed additions right at the top of the depth chart, but I'm not confident on many of the guys below them at this point. Like I think they're if they stay healthy and all that, I think they're gonna catch a ton of passes and be extremely productive um at least compared to last year uh and get and get and really help virginia tech's offense but like below them like i don't know if dewan lofton is ever going to take that step um, i haven't heard anyone mention him since yeah. last year so right so it's <laughs> well, like that's, yeah that's tucker, Hol- tucker holloway is in- encouraging yes um, yeah. for sure um but, but like, that question i just asked you like the drop off like you could pick four different positions yeah. i mean you you could pick wide receiver you could pick deep uh safety you could pick corner you could pick linebacker yeah. i mean you could pick offensive line but i didn't even let you pick that one yeah yeah and line linebackers the is like a dark dark horse like quietly just a giant concern like you don't know who's going to be the Mike linebacker right now. It could it's be, ex- like, it could be really exciting and it could be really good. Yeah. But it's also a big unknown because there's a lot of different bodies in there and no one, you're not quite sure where the positions are all going to shake out. Yeah. And they were banged up all spring. McDonald. Yes. I forget which one's the linebacker, Jordan or Jaden. I think it's Jaden. Uh, um, he was banged up. Jaden Keller has bounced between the two positions. Lawson, you feel really, really, really good about. But is he a finished product yet? I don't know. Tisdale missed most of his. I mean, there's just so many question marks there. And like, yep. feel like anytime you're going to enter August, not knowing who your Mike linebacker or not, maybe they strongly are leaning somewhere and we just don't know it. But uh, that, you want that, you that want would, someone to grab one yeah. of those positions like by the horns. And even Jenkins, who's been solid the last couple of years, you know, he, 
he can only be on the field so much, depending right. if you're playing a nickel corner or, or whatever else. So you, not knowing who the mic is when it's one of the two linebacker positions is, is interesting. Will it be stone Snyder? Will it be one of the guys that's already been here? Will it be Tisdale? Who's not really been a mic. It is a, it is a low key dark horse, uh, scary spot. You're right. Yeah. At least we have some competition there with the wide yeah. receivers. Those three, uh, those three transfers walked out of the bathroom stall and uh, took the <laughs> starting spots. Like, yeah, was, like, they showed up. It was like stretch, stretch. You're yeah. the starters. Uh, all three of you. I forget. Wow. <laughs> I, I forget I, I, when it was. It might have been at the recruiting night in Richmond when they hosted all the uh, high school coaches in the Richmond area. We were there, um, and I was. And I was I can't remember when I, but I was talking to Pry and I was like, how do you, how does that first team meeting in January go when you walk in and there's eight new transfers and every, everyone in the room knows that those three wide receivers are immediately starters. <laughs> and it's like, and it's like, how do you even like, it's a very miniature version of what Dion did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Having to introduce uh, what'll be 50 guys cup coming it, here. But it, the, uh, Daywan Lofton, me and Rob talked about it on on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Like, I'm surprised he didn't transfer. Like, when you bring in those three wide receivers, which are clearly like meant to take your spot or at least compete for it heavily, I'm very surprised he didn't leave. And hey, if if he battles it out and tries to beat them out, kudos to him. I hope he does. But uh, I was surprised by that. You want the optimistic Dewan Lofton take? Yes. Uh, he's a slot receiver. I think, I mean, he's played both spots so far because he had to slot receiver. Jalen Lane's going to play a ton in the slot. That competition. Finally. I mean, he's gone, he's been at Virginia tech for two years now or his first two seasons. He had no competition. He was just the best, the best option by default. Now he's competing every single day with, with Jalen Lane, who was extremely productive at, he can uh, play. Yeah. yeah he, he's a, he's a legitimate player. So does that help him? Does that get him over the hump? I mean, yeah. both, Fuente and Bry, both coaching staffs have said like he's a great, he's a good player. He's a they, him, you're him, right. It, leading him, into both seasons, yeah. they gave him a lot of pats on the back. Him and Jaden Keller are the two guys that, no matter the coaching staff, were immediately like that guy. Which is so surprising. Legit. Why Keller didn't get more playing time last year? Yeah. I, I mean, you come out of the fall. If you you heard it then at the end of the season you look at his snap count like it doesn't make any sense like why didn't he play more Yeah uh, it, it's it's one of those things with the young young player I mean Tisdale missed half the season too Right um so he had every opportunity like, and and so maybe like he didn't grasp the mental side of the game like yeah. I don't know and maybe that'll come the light'll come on this year for Keller I hope so cuz he definitely has you know we we talk about having the physical tools he has that and yeah, and so hopefully that does because there's another opportunity at linebacker this year for sure. Yep. Well, Doug, thank you so much for coming on. Why don't you tell people where they can find you, where they can read your stuff, all that? Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm on vtscoop.com, 24/7 sports text, 24/7 sports site. Um, you can read read me there. I'm on Twitter at Doug Bowman 24/7, I believe. Um, that's correct. And, and that's <laughs> and, and that, that's basically where I am. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Very nice. Dude, well, thank you so much for being with us tonight and just shedding some light on on recruiting and the blue chip ratio and just your thoughts on the team. I know you wrote a 
uh, off season offensive piece and an off season defensive piece. Like you were, you've been doing a lot of work over there. So uh, keep it up and we'll look forward to reading you all season. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks. Later, bud. Appreciate it. All right, Rob, you still with me? I'm here. All right. Just a couple things before we sign off here. Um, Doug was great. Great guest. Seems like a cool regular dude. Drank some beer with us. Gotta love that. I love it. Um, Game time. And he's coming fresh off of a all-star appearance with um, one of our favorite guy in the industry with Bud Elliott. So um, we're... He he came to slum it with us after being with the uh, the top brass on uh, on his podcast in the summer show for uh, Bud Elliott's summer summer stuff. It's true, Bud is Bud is a big deal in the college football world, especially in like the college football nerd world, like gambling world, nerd <laughs> yeah, world, gambling. All of those. Like, yep. <laughs> we we all love Bud, so yeah, Doug gets to talk to him every year in the summer school series, so that's pretty cool. Um, we got a couple of game times announced for the September games. So yep. ODU is going to be at 8 p.m. And this this is news is a couple weeks old, but I still think it's pertinent. 8 p.m. on ACC Network, the big ACC Network game of the week. <laughs> uh, why is this game at 8 o'clock at night? <laughs> Virginia schools? I, I, that, that ODU could beat Virginia Tech? Maybe they uh, that people it's, will tune in. After I the... just wanted to play them in the three thirty slot. Like no. no, no one's paying any attention. It's not the last games of the day. <laughs> I, I was hoping for a nooner. Right? Get <laughs> yeah, the three thirty exactly. slot. A lot of people are watching three thirty, and by at least by eight p.m., a lot of people are blacked out, so they don't they don't remember <laughs> it. But if the the three three thirty, everybody everybody definitely sees, which leads into the other two times that we found out about as well. Yeah. Purdue, the Purdue game is a nooner. So that's mm-hmm. on ESPN too. So at least we're on a, a national network, so to speak, for the Purdue game, but it is at noon, which could you envision us playing Purdue at any other time? I no. mean, it just seems to make too much sense. The big drum, uh, all, everything just fits so perfectly for Purdue a Pete, spot right? for that. Yeah, Purdue Pete, that nightmare fuel. Like, uh, Freaky uh, ass yes. Purdue Pete. <laughs> With a huge chin. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then we got Rutgers at three thirty on the Big Ten Network. Finally, so, a great game, and it's the away game, like yeah. a great game time, I should say. <laughs> Not well, a great, a great game. <laughs> game time. I think they gave it the spot because this is the rematch of the thirteen ten two thousand and twelve <laughs> punt game. Twenty punts, five combined. <laughs> Five combined turnovers and just under 400 combined yards between the two teams. They tied. did you look up the punt game today, Robbie? I did. I'm they, proud each, of you. <laughs> each team had 196 yards exactly. Both teams put up 196 yards uh, Dude, in total that offense. Is weird. That is yeah. that is that game is seriously like one of the weirdest football games. And then you add to it the fact that it was the Russell Athletic Bowl. Yep. Like it wasn't a regular season game. It was a bowl game. Yeah. Um, a, and a bowl game that is now defunct with 20 yeah. punts, 196 <laughs> yards of offense for each team. So that's why we got the 330. It's a, uh, there's a lot of bad blood between us and Rutgers, evidently, since that, uh, since that game. You know, the Rutgers game being at 330 will be fun. And I actually yeah. do think with the, with the amount of Hokies in the Northeast, mm-hmm. it will be heavily, I mean, I'm going, I know. Billy and Pat are both New Jersey guys. They're going to be up for it. You may come up for it. Yeah. Um, 
it's it's gonna be a blast. My my cousins went to Rutgers, like yeah. so. There, there's there's a lot of um, there will be a lot of Hokies fans up here, uh, and it will be a fun tailgate and all that stuff. I encourage anyone to come up. I know Billy is doing something with the Suns for for a pregame, so it'll be a blast. But that team with Shiano as coach, no, they're not great, but like it's not going to be an easy game, especially but on the road. It's a Shiano Rutgers team, which is what you don't want. This is not Rutgers. Shiano's success, the only success Rutgers has ever had is with him. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it, and it's a team that is in a conference and a side of the conference that they are used to just getting the shit kicked out of them by Ohio State and Michigan and all of these people. So when they get a chance to play a team like Virginia Tech, you know they're going to be out for trying to get a W. Right. I mean, we're Virginia Tech, and we might have a little bit of more history than Rutgers, I'd say. But yes. we were horrible last year. And so mm-hmm. to them, looking at that as an out-of-conference game at home, that's a chance for a W. Yes. And so it's going to be a hard-fought game. Uh, it makes me a little nervous. But do you feel, what do you feel better about us beating Purdue at home at that nooner or us beating Rutgers on the road at 3.30? That is is a great question. Purdue can give people fits. I I was in the stadium when they almost beat Ohio State. uh, And Ohio State played for the national championship that that year. They give Ohio State hell sometimes. Yeah, Purdue can be salty. uh, But... I think I think Virginia Tech will be okay against Purdue at home. It's it's usually not the first time we we the team doesn't lay down when it's the first time of playing somebody at home. That I think there's usually some energy behind that that'll get and they got a new some. coach too. Like yes. Brom's gone. I have more confidence in Purdue strangely than I do in Rutgers. Yeah, I, and I I would agree with you on that. The ODU game we're heavy favorites in that game. And I, I obviously I'd rather be a heavy favorite than a heavy dog, but it's um, there is no Virginia tech fan out there that has taken us as a 14 point favorite. Over no, ODU. Not, not even close. <laughs> Especially, you know, without, without an announced quarterback. And mm-hmm. uh, no, I, I'm not at all believing that 14 for a minute. I won't believe the 14 until the game's over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think last year going into it at ODU, was it like seven or eight points that we were favored by? Something like I that? think the line was started at 11 ish. And I think it bled down to by like game time, like seven or yeah. eight. Yeah. And then we saw how that one ended. Well, let's get to <laughs> our first record predictions because we're already kind of, you know, tiptoeing around it here with these first couple out of conference games. But we also got to go to Marshall mm-hmm. and that, that we got to go to Florida State. I think we got to go to UVA. We got to go to BC. And that's one of the things that annoys me about this schedule. Um, yeah, it's an ACC schedule and and the out of conference games aren't tough. But there are a lot of road games and playing mm-hmm. on the road is is not great. Like you got to go to Marshall like yeah. Marshall's not not a, a pushover. And now you're in Huntington for the game. You got to play yeah. Rutgers and you got to go to New Jersey. It's yeah. it's just not a great schedule. The two easiest teams on the schedule 
which are UVA and BC pretty much. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as the ACC games go, yep. um, they're both on the road. So we couldn't even get done the favor of, you know, playing UVA or playing a bad BC team and get them at home. We got to go to Chestnut Hill. So with all of that in mind, I'll let you go first on your record prediction. And, you know, if, if this is the first I'm, one, you don't have to be perfect this time. Just next yeah. time. <laughs> just next time I'll get it locked in. <laughs> I have seven and five. What? Yeah, what? I do. Um, and how I got there. Well, I said I wasn't going to go team by team, so I might be blown. But you must um, feel good about the out-of-conference games. I feel good about I we will get a W versus either Purdue or Rutgers, potentially both. I think neither of those teams I think are gonna be vaunted. So I think absolutely those. I think ODU will will be fine in the sense of there's not more after everything that happened last year and just I, that is they the one game where we're going to They can't lose that game. Exactly. There's going to be so much so much energy. So I think we could come out with two, potentially three wins early. And then going to Marshall, like you said, that is actually a tough game in Huntington. So I'm not so sure about Right after that. two power five teams for us. Yeah. But I, I actually feel pretty good about the Syracuse, Louisville, BC uh, three game stretch a little bit later in the season. Uh, and then finishing off, I don't know what UVA is going to be this year, but it, it's not great, but I, I don't know. I, I have a feeling that things could be good this year. Who knows? I, I could be talking out my ass. It could be, I could be coming back after I look into this deeper with five and seven for all I know, or four and eight. But right now that was my, my first glance at it. And, uh, the first glance i hey dude i appreciate it and i you know my surprise is that a lot of people are are worried about us getting to four or five wins and Mm -hmm. so you putting down seven coming out hot uh it took me back i've been going i've been bouncing back and forth for like three months between five or six wins that i Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna go seven but i have been waffling between five or six i think Last year, we were probably at least a game better than the three and eight record. I thought we could have at least finished four and seven. We didn't play a complete season. So anyone who's saying, oh, three wins, three wins. Yes, we got three wins. We only played 11 games. Correct. And so would we have beaten UVA? I don't know, but I like our chances in, in winning that game. Mm-hmm. This year, UVA, they're they're terrible. We've owned them for the better part of 20 years. To me, that's a win. The BC game at, at Chestnut Hill terrifies me. The Louisville game you commented on, new coach, who everyone's calling the second coming in, in Brom, they lost a ton of guys to the draft. They lost like 25 guys to the portal. And yes, they added 25 guys in the portal. Good guys. But meshing all of that in year one, I don't know what Louisville is going to look like. I think that's a potentially winnable game. The out of conference games are all winnable. You could go, you go four and you could go one and three. Um, but if you believe in the progress and the changes that were made in QB coach and, and the wide receivers, we should get at least two of those games, hopefully three. And if that happens, 
a long way of me saying I'm going to go. My initial prediction is six and six. I think we can get to a bowl. It may be a little too bullish because if we only win two out of conference games, it's going to be really hard for us to go 500 in the ACC. We to go six and six, we probably need to win three out of conference games. But so, I'm going to say six and six. So let me do some math for you of how also I got there. Sure. Right? Would you say last year's schedule for each of these questions, it's going to be about the same, harder, worse, better, worse. Those are your three options. Schedule this year versus last year. Just um, off the cuff, would you think? Harder. How, like materially or, you know, not materially. Okay. So, relatively. Okay. So then let's say, so last year we had three games that we lost by like three points or whatever that could have very easily gone the other direction, right? In an 11 game season where we only won three games. Okay. So let's put that out there. Bad breaks. If you want to do the Bud Elliott, you know, those things, turnover margin, all that sort of stuff usually comes back to, to net zero at a certain point over a long enough period of time. Would you say our offensive line this year could be on par with last year, better or of course I assume that it's going to be better. Okay. Now wide receiver. What would you say? Better. Okay. The defensive line. Better. Okay. Uh, DBs. Better. Okay. So is my point proven here? Yeah, no, I I like the point. I like the point. Running back better, tight end better. (laughs) So yes, I, I, that is kind of my back of the envelope thought process on this is the offensive line was atrocious last year. Last year, our offense, our collective offense was, Bud Elliott said it on the podcast that he um, he did with Doug. He said the, the Virginia Tech stats for offense last night were, ap- were absolutely, in terms of success rate, atrocious. Almost the worst that he had seen in like the last five years. Horrible. So, yeah. so my my point is, yes, could it be status quo for for this year? I think that's a very real possibility that we put out the same team. I think all of us would be very concerned if the team that comes out on the field this year is as bad as the team that was out there last year in terms of offensive success rate, in terms of wide receivers, having more people to throw to, all of those things. Um, should be a little bit of marked improvement there. And I don't think Rutgers and I don't think um, Syracuse is going to be that great. Great. Who knows what I don't, I, there's a, there's a few teams on there that I think BC is not going to be that great this, this year. I, I, Purdue. I don't know. They're going to coaching change. Louisville's got a coaching change. It, there's, there's enough there that I could see. Look, I mean, you yeah. use BC UVA. They suck. I mean, mm-hmm. they will not be good teams this year. Now we have to caveat that with we also suck. So yes, I agree. But Q's being at home is helpful. If that game was up north, I wouldn't feel nearly as good about it. I think we're beating Syracuse at home. BC on the road, you know I don't feel good about it, but the UVA <laughs> no, game we never do. should should be a win. And the BC game really should be a win. They're they are terrible. They lost Jerkovich who was the only, and Zay Flowers, the only two reasons they were good. And so those should be wins on paper, those three games. However, you're like, just 
by the law of things, you're probably going to lose one of them. Yeah. But if you win all three of those, you win a couple of those out of conference games and you take the rest, like, yeah, six and six is very possible. And you talked about one point lost in NC State, one point lost to GT. Uh, you could have potentially won an, a, a fourth game against UVA. So now you're talking about mm-hmm. Pry actually being the head coach instead of being the defensive coordinator for the entire season, allowing him to focus more on us not making penalties, focus on the right timeouts, focus on the right substitutions, all the things that a head coach does throughout a game. That should improve us by you know a, a few percentage points as the year goes on. So I'm not sure I agree with your 7-5. and five. Maybe I will after I do the previews, but it's not a hard schedule. And despite the away games, I think we can go 6-6. Six and six. And getting to a bowl after all the negativity and the bad offense and all that stuff would be huge for this team, would be absolutely huge. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I just wanted to throw some insight into how I – because I was doing it quickly. I wasn't going through, you know, and marking win or loss for each one, but I was really doing it at a high level comparison of the positions and the schedule compared to last year. And people do forget that we were competitive even in the West Virginia game, in the pit game, where we had a guy run for 350 yards on us or whatever it was and six touchdowns. We were in that game in the fourth quarter. Like we, we had a mm-hmm. chance to win. We had a chance to win the West Virginia game. And we at halftime, remember they kept teams kept scoring yep. us before halftime, put us in a hole, but even still we fought in those games and we had a chance. If we are just the slightest bit better in a few aspects of the game, as you hinted at, those could turn into wins. Yeah. So anyway, all right, well that that's going to do it. We talked a lot, long time to, to Doug and uh, me and Rob went on too long for this, but uh, we appreciate you guys listening. We are going to be doing our, previews of our opponents we'll do the first six games of the year kind of detail the teams we're going to play and then we'll do the second it'll be you know part one and part two so you get the idea we've done it in past years but that'll be coming to you in july uh we may have something else coming to you in june but uh you'll just have to wait and see but until next time make sure you rate review and subscribe spotify and apple podcast you can hit us on twitter it's at 2dvt Make sure to follow me and Rob on Twitter and also follow Doug. And until next time, when we're hopefully, you know, talking to you about our opponents or whatever else, and you're you're getting down to the shore and having some beers on the beach, go Hokies. 